Let's uh, begin with our scripture reading. We stay in the letter of 1 Corinthians that we were in last week. We're now in chapter 12. Just as a body, though one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we are all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we are all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now, if the foot should say, "Eh, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. And if they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. Congrats to the Kansas City Chiefs for winning Super Bowl 54. Any Chief fans here? You guys aren't Chief fans, like bandwagon jumpers. Nobody from Kansas. I'm just kidding. Maybe you are. Congrats after, I think, 50 years. Maybe you watched it, maybe you didn't. You probably know Kansas City. I think 102 million people watched it, which is astounding. You may know a little bit about Kansas City Chiefs. You probably know their quarterback, if you know anything about him, Patrick Mahomes. But I want to talk about two lesser-known players that played a crucial role in their victory. And these two players are very distinct in their giftedness. The first one is Chris Jones. He's 25 years old. He's 6'5", 310 pounds of pure muscle. He plays the defensive line. And he plays the middle of the defensive line, the defensive tackle position, it's called, if you don't know anything about football. Basically, his job is to be in the trenches. Defensive tackles, their job is to shove other muscular 300-pound men forward to try to reach the quarterback while trying to tackle a really fast running back. It's a very essential part, but not a glamorous role. If you looked at his stat sheet from the Super Bowl, you would see that he had one tackle. And you'd be like, "Uh, he didn't have a very good game. But in fact, he has a strong case for being the MVP of the game. He blocked three passes. One of them stopped a crucial drive that would have put the 49ers in the lead. He also pressured the quarterback the entire game. One time he pressured him so demonstrably that Jimmy Garoppolo threw an interception. Second player, crucial, total different uh, type of player. You don't know who he is. His name's Harrison Butker. Harrison looks like he should be in a library, not on a football field. He comes up for post-conference or or the press conference, and he looks like he's going to do a poetry reading for us. He's like soaking wet, 200 pounds. But Harrison has a very unique skill set and giftedness. He has an incredibly strong and accurate leg. His percentage of makes for his career is 90%, which is second in NFL history. Last year, during a pregame warm-up, he kicked a 71-yard field goal. He, uh, he went five for five in the Super Bowl. Now, if Chris Jones, the defensive tackle, tried to play Harrison's position, it would be comical to watch that. And if Harrison tried to play Chris Jones' position, he would just get annihilated. Like, could you imagine getting hit by that man? I'd just be in fetal position, whimpering. 
The point is, football, and even if you don't like sports, I think you can understand this idea. Football is a team sport. You need all of those types of gifts, the different shapes and sizes. In the same way, following Jesus is a team sport. Doing life together, doing church is a team sport. We're in the sixth week of a seven-week series called Together. The basis of this series is that we are created not to be alone. We are better together. We are called to come out of our shell, out of hiding, and be vulnerable for one another, with one another. That's the only way to be known and loved, to discover intimacy. And Jesus, through his work on the cross, through his modeling, has provided that way for us to safely come out of hiding and once again be known and loved. But it's work. It's like building a garden. It's like cultivating. It's cultivating relationships. It's difficult. The challenge to do a meal together. How's that going? I'm going to continue to put it in front of you. It's hard work, but there's no other way. Relationships don't just happen. The second part of the series, we've been exploring a little bit about this church, us, New Hope Community Church. What, what about what we do helps cultivate togetherness? Last week, we looked at the idea we live in a very divisive world. I didn't have to spend much time building that case. And church can be divisive, but it doesn't have to be. And I would argue that church is one of the few places left on planet Earth that d diverse people, totally different people, can come together because what we have in common is greater than what divides us. And what we have in common is our need for grace. Every single one of us is desperately needy for God's grace. And so as we came to the table last week and all of our diversity, we, we celebrated uh, that unity. This week, we're going to look at how uh, God has uniquely given us spiritual gifts, and we're, we're called as a church to serve together. It's another way we can develop unity. Last week, we looked at 1 Corinthians, and we talked about the city of Corinth in modern-day Greece. The city of Corinth was a bustling metropolis. It even outpaced Athens. It was like New York and L.A. and Las Vegas all in one place. It was incredibly diverse. The church at Corinth, planted by the Apostle Paul, was incredibly diverse. And they were having issues. They had divided into these four factions or camps. And Paul is arguing what we talked about last week, that they must come together because what they have in common is greater than what divides them. We move now 11 chapters forward, and Paul's still talking about division. Now he's talking about the division that was in their church when they gathered together as one. On a Sundays, or the early church often gathered multiple times during the week to celebrate the Lord's Supper, to worship, to study scripture, to pray. They were having issues. They were having dividing lines like modern churches do with our 33,000 denominations. And Paul is entering into that space, and he specifically is going to talk about, and we just read part of the passage from 1 Corinthians 12, the divisiveness that came from giftedness. There were some in the church that said, hey, I have this gift, and it's a better gift than your gift, and thus I'm a better person. And Paul is basically telling them to cut it out. Last week we talked about unifying diversity. And that's a key role the church can play. But we must remember that unity is not uniformity. The way of Jesus is all of us not becoming clones and looking the same, acting the same, talking the same. We're meant to maintain our diversity. The very idea of unity assumes diversity. You don't have to unify something that's uniform. 
The idea of unity is like you're all so different, but we need to come together around something that's greater than what divides us. So this week, we're going to talk a little bit about as we come together in unity, we still are to maintain our diversity, that there's great strength and beauty and wonder in our diversity, that we need each other, that we're better together. The, the main metaphor is, was easy to track in the opening uh, scripture passage that Paul uses. Some scriptural metaphors are odd and you have to explain it and it doesn't quite work uh, in 2020. This one works beautifully. It's just as true as when Paul used it and it's our bodies, our bodies. We have all different body parts, the body parts from nose and ears and eyes to fingers to feet. They look different. They have different functions but they're unified into one corpus, that's the Latin phrase for body, one whole. It's our body parts, the diversity, are meant to work together when they try to work on their own. The body doesn't work. So we get that. I don't have to do much explaining. Paul is, uh, he's, he's trying to bring some humor and some light. He's, he's expecting the church as he's writing this to laugh. He's expecting us even all these years later, perhaps if he knew we were still reading it, to chuckle and laugh. He starts to animate the body parts as you experience as I read it earlier. He's like, if you're an eye and you're like, I don't need an ear, that's ridiculous. And if you're an ear and you think, I don't need a foot, that's ridiculous. And he's meant for us to kind of smirk and smile a little bit. It's a very simple illustration, but it's understandable. He goes further and he says, if you want to argue that you can just be alone as a body part, how would that be if you were just one body part? And with that, I got really distracted this week during sermon prep. And this is a good like dinner conversation or crowd breaker. If you could only be one body part, what would it be? I couldn't come up with anything because every time I thought, do I want to be like an ear? Like just walk around as an ear or I can't, I can't even walk around. See what just happened there? What if I'm a nose, a big nose? It's just a nose. There's all kind of limitations, right? And it's, it's kind of an absurd concept because of course the body needs one another. The body parts need one another to function as they were intended to function. A body is not independent. A body is interdependent. This idea that is kind of floating around, I guess it always has, but it seems very pronounced right now, of followers of Jesus not doing church, not being part of a church body, that idea would have been utterly foreign to Jesus and the writers of Scripture or really any followers of Jesus throughout history. That They wouldn't even know what to do with that. That would be like, I'm just going to be an ear by myself over here, or I'm just going to be a nose we are created to be together with all of its messiness, with all of its vulnerability. That's what this series is totally about. We're meant to be together. I'm going to read the same passage, but a different translation. Uh, Eugene Peterson, theologian, writer, he's one of my favorite pastors. He, he passed away a few years ago. He wrote a translation of the Bible called The Message. I think it's very illuminating. It's helpful in my own study. And, and I think he, he, he sheds a new light in his own vernacular. So let me just read Eugene Peterson's translation of the same passage as we're thinking through this concept. Eugene writes, you can easily enough see how this kind of thing works by looking no further than your own body. Your body has many parts, limbs, organs, cells, but no matter how many parts you can name, you're still one body. It's exactly the same with Christ. By means of his one spirit, we all said goodbye to our partial and piecemeal lives. We each used to independently call our own shots, 
but then we entered into a large and integrated life in which he has the final say in everything. This is what we proclaimed in word and action when we were baptized. Each of us is now a part of his resurrection body, refreshed and sustained at one fountain, his spirit, where we all come to drink. The old labels we used to use to identify ourselves, labels like Jew or Greek, slave or free, are no longer useful. We need something larger and more comprehensive. I want you to think about how all this makes you more significant, not less. A body isn't just a single part blown up into something huge. It's all the different but similar parts arranged and functioning together. If the foot said, I'm not elegant, elegant like the hand embellished with rings, I guess I don't belong to this body, would that make it so? If the ear said, I'm not beautiful like I, limpid and expressive, I don't deserve a place on the head, would you want to remove it from the body? If the body was all I, how could we hear? If all ear, how could it smell? As it is, we see that God has carefully placed each part of the body right where he wanted it. But I also want you to think about how this keeps your significance from getting blown up into self-importance. For no matter how significant you are, it is only because of what you are a part of. How can we make sure as a church, New Hope Church, as we move into this next season, that we hold divisiveness at bay? That we don't repeat the pattern in the Corinthian church and so many other churches of divisiveness, of saying I'm better than you and my gift is better than you. How do we function as a healthy body? I've got three things that flow right from 1 Corinthians 12. We'll bring in some, some fresh stuff from that chapter, but I think it applies to us. And, and I think if we're serious about it, if we listen, if we do these things, we'll be good to go. Number one, uh, we are each uniquely gifted by God. We're each uniquely gifted by God. That's unequivocally true in the passage. Back to verses 4 through 7. We have not read these yet. This is at the beginning of 1 Corinthians 12. Paul says, these are, these are, there are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Now Paul is saying to those of you who are super spiritual, you have spiritual gifts. Is that what he's saying? Is that what he's saying? Are you guys following along here? Kids help the adults out. To those of you who are really, really godly, really mature in the Lord, have been walking with Jesus for a long, long time, you're, you've got spiritual gifts. Is that what he's saying? No, he says... Each one, and some of you really need to hear that, each one, every single person who has put their hope in Jesus and the Spirit of God has entered into you, you have a spiritual gift. This Greek word is charisma, charisma, and it literally means a gift of grace. This is how I define it. Special abilities that God gives and empowers for the good of others. Special abilities that God gives and empowers for the good of others. They can be natural skills and talents that you have always possessed, but empowered by God and used for the good of others, they become charisma. They become magnified. They can also be out of the ordinary. Things that you're able to do through the supernatural power of God, it's unequivocally clear that God is working in you in that moment. Uh, they can be uh, 
just virtues that every follower of Jesus should inhabit, like mercy. But you're extra really good at mercy because you're empowered by God for the good of others. They can be a, a position in the church, like pastor, like that I do. That's a spiritual gift. That's a charisma. Paul lists in 1 Corinthians 12, and if you have your Bibles, you can, you can look at this. You can look at it later. I hope you will. He lists some of the spiritual gifts at the beginning and the end. And this is some of the list. Wisdom, knowledge, faith, healing, miraculous powers, prophecy, discernment, speaking in tongues, interpreting tongues, apostolic, teaching, helping, guidance. Then if you turn to Romans 12 and Ephesians 4, Paul adds other gifts. He adds gifts of service, encouragement, generosity, evangelism, uh, leadership, and, and mercy. There's no set list of spiritual gifts in the Bible. Even Paul's three lists, there's seven epistles that have some sort of a list. Even in Paul's three lists, the three different churches, they're different. There's no set list. There's no set definition. A lot of scholars disagree with what charisma is and these certain gifts are. Just think of something that you're good at. Something that when, when, you, when you yield your natural gifts and abilities, God shows up in a powerfully effective way. Uh, it could include musical gifts. That's Ephesians 5. It could, for you craftsmen, for you folks that are handy, which is not me, it could include trade skills and artistry, a, a mason, carpenter, electrician, painter, potter, plumber. These can be spiritual gifts empowered by God for the good of others. My wife definitely has the craftsman type gift. She's an artist, a potter, and a painter, but she's so good with her hands. Anything she touches turns to gold. I'm very envious of her gifts. She also has the gift, spiritual gift of discernment, which is a horrible gift to be married to. Because she's like, that's not right. I'm like, what? She's like, how do you know that? And she, I, through the years, she, she's been really faithful. There'll be times, not in judgment, that we'll, we'll be around somebody. And she's like, you ought to watch out for that person. I'm like, what? No, they're great. And inevitably, <laughs> she was right. And then I have to admit that she was right, which is hard and all that. I have friends with the gift of faith. And they're the friends that when it gets stormy in life, which it often does, you want to be close to them on the boat. I have friends with the, the gift of, of healing. When I'm sick and struggling physically and they say, hey, John, can I pray for you? I'm like, please pray for me. I have friends with the gift of mercy. And when I need some compassion and I just need a hug, I don't need advice, I just need to cry on somebody's shoulder, those are the friends I turn to. I have friends with the gift of generosity and I always make sure that I go out to lunch with them. I'm like, oh, you're paying again? Wow, how generous of you. I'm just kidding, but not really. <laughs> the psalmist says this, God knit us together in the womb. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. He goes on to say that we are woven together in the depths of the earth. Isn't that incredible? God brought that kind of a intentionality to every single one of you. All of us. I think of, uh, of, of the idea of charisma as we, we get our English word. Uh, yeah, charisma turns into charisma. 
It's the thing that makes us sparkle. It's the thing that makes us beautiful. It's the idea that we're all talented and gifted. I think it's our superpower. And when we look at it, we're like, oh, like when I do this, it's like, oh, this is amazing. I come to life. How do you know? How do you know what your charisma is, your superpower, the things that make you sparkle and shine for the Lord? There's a website that's up on the screen. I think it's listed in the bulletin as well. It's a great little website. It's got some tests you can go to to take that might help you in that process of discerning what your charisma is. Um, But more than anything, if you want to figure it out, then just listen to your life. Really. What, what for a long time maybe, especially since you started following Jesus, what are you, what are you good at? What are you better than others? It just kind of happens and you find success and you kind of find fruitfulness. What do people tell you? Ask those people you trust. Ask those people that are close to you. Be vulnerable. Say, hey, like off that sermon today, can I just ask a question? Like what, what do you think mine is? Like what, what do you think? I'm, what an affirming, encouraging conversation for all of us to have. In the 1980s, there was a movie called Chariots of Fire. It won Best Picture. It's a really remarkable film. If you have a chance and you haven't seen it, check it out. It's the story of Eric Little, who was a follower of Jesus, passionate, mature follower of Jesus, went on to be a missionary in China. Eric was the best in the world British runner at the 100 meters. He was a shoe-in, barring something catastrophic, to win the gold. And yet when he got his, the listings of the races, he saw the final for the 100 meters fell on a Sunday. And Eric, for all of his life, this doesn't have to be you, but for Eric, he had consistently taken Sundays off. He had given the, that day to the Lord, and he felt like he could not run on that day. So he, he gave the gold medal away. It's a remarkable story. But in that movie, I was a young boy when I was watching it. I'll never forget this scene. It's always stuck with me. Eric's talking to someone, I can't remember who, and he's talking about what he feels like when he runs. And he said, when I run, I feel the pleasure of God. That's your charisma. That's the thing that makes you sparkle, that you can just feel it when you're doing it. It's like, I'm coming alive. My first uh, official talk that I can ever remember giving was when I was, I was 14. I was super awkward. And I went to Shenandoah Valley Baptist Church. And part of it was a Bible class. And then we had to, had to do a talk. And right from the get-go, I was really excited about doing it. I wasn't nervous. I was, like, excited. And I chose from my text Ephesians 6, the armor of God. And I did all this research about how Paul's chained to this Roman soldier. And he's using the armor's illustrations. And I dressed in a suit and had a tie on. I remember, I still remember the sanctuary. And there's, like, you know, 25 eighth graders out there just staring at me. Not necessarily a captivated audience, but we had this massive uh, pulpit like they do in Baptist churches, and I'm like this little guy standing behind it in my tie. I remember like it was yesterday, and I loved it. Like it was probably a horrible message, but I came alive. It was filled with all kind of bad jokes, and you could say, what's changed? (laughs) But when I got done, it didn't matter to me necessarily how my eighth grade peers were responding. I came alive, and Then I kind of went on with my life, forgot that a little bit, and fell away from the Lord, came back, and I was preparing to go to law school. That's what I thought God wanted me to do with my life, and I was close to that. And then I started helping with my youth ministry, and we went away to a winter camp where our middle schoolers are right now, and we joined a bunch of other youth groups, and we brought in this national speaker who speaks to youth. And I just thought this guy was the most amazing guy ever. He was funny, unlike me. And when he spoke, God's word came alive. And these high school students that could care less about anything were captivated. And their lives were being changed. I remember sitting there at like 
23 or 24 thinking, if I could do anything with my life, it'd be that. And I thought back to that horrible message I preached when I was 14, but it began to come alive for me. Understanding who God made me to be, what my charisma was, changed my life. Changed totally the direction of my life. How about for you? Each of us is uniquely gifted by God. How can we be a healthy body? The next step in that, Paul tells us, is knowing we're each uniquely gifted by God, we must understand that each of us has an important, essential role to play in the body. All of us. Paul says it like this, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty. While our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it. So that there should be no division in the body. And then its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part's honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each of you is part of it. Paul in verse 7 tells us everyone has a spiritual gift. We all do. What was happening in this church, as it so naturally happens, is factions were building. And what was, what was occurring, as best we can understand, is the more visible gifts were being given prominence. The more visible gifts, there's people like, well, of course I'm better than you now because my gifts are more visible. And Paul literally is saying, cut it out. That's a ridiculous premise. Understand how the human body operates. All the gifts are indispensable. I have a very visible gift. I'm aware of that. And the deal is, like, I get my reward on earth, not heaven, because you guys say kind things about the messages oftentimes. And there's also that verse in Scripture about teachers get judged more harshly than others, my least favorite verse in Scripture. <laughs> but just because my gift is visible and Chelsea's gift may be visible and there's others' gifts, that doesn't mean I'm any more important or, or my gift is more important. We need all the parts of the body. Paul's saying every part, especially Paul's saying the, the parts that operate in the shadows are so indispensable. Cut it out, Corinthian church. I want to take a moment to drive home this point by illustrating. We have hundreds of volunteers that serve and, and, and make what, what happens happen for the good glory of God. And I want to, I want to highlight briefly just a few people. Uh, one is, uh, her name is Marge Boyd. She works with a woman named uh, Judy, if you look right in front of you, there's, there's, there's stuff, comment cards and things and pencils, stuff right in front of you. Who do you think refills all those? Marge and Judy for like a long, long time. Every single Monday, they come through aisle by aisle and they make sure everything's refilled and the pencils are sharpened and they pick up all of your trash and your coffee cups that you leave, hint, hint, and they throw them away. Really, really important. Barb, my friend Barb, she's been volunteering at New Hope for 30 years, never paid a dime. And she gathers a team of people, she's here a couple days a week, and she does things that are indispensable. We really need them done, and she does them with joy. She even pays out of her own pocket for some of the expenses the team needs. I visit her often on Tuesdays, and she reminds me not to take myself so seriously. And not to take life so seriously. And that God's faithful and good and true. By the way, uh, Barb is 91. And Marge 
is 95. She turned 95 last Sunday. Yeah, give it up. I love, I love bumping into Marge, who, who's the 95-year-old, because she loves, loves sports. So we always talk sports. And last week, her birthday was coming, I said, Marge, you don't look a day over 65. And she's like, you're my favorite pastor ever now, right now. <laughs> Back in the sound booth, those folks ne never get any scrutiny unless something's going wrong. They're like referees back there. And one of our volunteers on the other end of the age spectrum is named Charlie. He's not here today, probably will be here next week. Look back sometime. Charlie's often running the board, which is a serious responsibility. He's, four, he's 15 years old. He started volunteering last year at 14 as an eighth grader. Eighth graders don't like to get out of bed in the morning, FYI, and they have to get up really early on their day off to be here. It's incredible. Uh, Watson is another uh, volunteer back in our sound booth. Watson uh, showed up a couple months before Christmas. He's from Taiwan. He reached out. He wanted to help practice his English, which is remarkably good. And Watson is cross-training in all the different areas. On Christmas Eve, Watson was here for all three services, helped set up all the stage, all the candles, helped refill candles. He would go out during uh, the services and refill the hot chocolate station. And then after all the services are over, after a long day, Christmas Eve, he's in the kitchen washing dishes. I'm like, bring some of your other friends from Taiwan, Watson. That's unbelievable. Uh, listen, can we, for a second, uh, give it up for all the ladies and gentlemen in the sound booth? My, my friend G, she's very gentle. I see her often. She's a dedicated wife and mother, but her role is she goes and she rocks babies down in the nursery. For some of you uh, families with babies, you're like, praise Jesus. You know, like you get like an hour off or something like G, just to care for your child. And then she also welcomes, and she loves welcoming downstairs at the doors where stressed out families are coming in that she can greet them with a smile. Uh, Charmin and Dean Reed, uh, they're in the back there. Hey, guys, they, they've served at Holy Grounds. Uh, we have a coffee shop at the far end, all kind of tasty mochaccina, frappuccino, just incredibleness, muffins, food. Uh, since 1999, along with her, uh, Linda has helped out back there for a long time as well. They don't make a cent. They serve, and that money goes outside the church, any profits that we make. Linda's also served 21 years in worship arts and, uh, and six years in the nursery. They're back there. Can we give it up for, for those three? I could, I could literally go on and on and on and on. The, the Academy Awards are tonight. Uh, last last uh, year, Green Book won Best Picture, and I think there's, a, there's a, a shot of when they came up to accept, and you'll notice that the famous actors in Green Book are, are not just the ones on the stage. It's a massive community. There could probably be hundreds more that will happen tonight for Best Picture. That's because that's how the theater works. That's how movies work. So there's the actors, but there's the directors, producers, screenwriters, cinematographers, people who perform and write the score, people who make the costumes and do the makeup and work the camera and arrange the lighting and do the stunts and create backdrops. There's visible and invisible roles, but that's how it's supposed to work. And that's how the body of Christ is supposed to work. They wouldn't have won that without all of those people. And we can't be a church without each one of you understanding you have an important role to play, regardless of whether it's visible. And finally, and this probably gets most personal, Paul's getting very personal as a pastor here. He wants us to know that we are meant to use our gifts for the good of others, for the good of others. That's the definition, special abilities God gives and empowers for the good of others. They're not charisma if you keep them to yourself. There's something else. Paul in 1 Corinthians 12, 7 says, to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the what? 
We can say it for the what? Common good. Not your good. That's not charisma. For the common good. For the good of others. Paul told the Corinthian church, it's something I've been pondering a lot this week as I, as I ruminated on the statement that they had every spiritual gift they needed. They weren't lacking any gift. I think that's true. I think that's how God does church. He knows what we're called to be as a church. He knows what this next season is going to be, what he's going to ask us to do as the body of Christ right here in this community. We're not lacking any gift. He's given us every single spiritual gift we need. That doesn't mean they're in operation, does it? Because we each have the responsibility to use our gift for the good of others. So if this church is lacking in any spiritual gift, it's not because it's not here, it's because it's not being used. I know that's hard truth, but that's the truth. The parable of the talents for me is probably one of the more impactful of Jesus' parables. And it's a simple parable. You may have heard it before, you may not. But there's a master that goes away and he leaves his three servants behind with stewardship of stuff. In the parable, it's talents, which is a, a monetary, an ancient monetary descriptor. In the, in, in the updated parable, it's bags of gold. But I think it's Jesus, it's not bags of gold, it's what he's given us. It's our life and our breath and our experiences and our opportunities and yes, our charisma, our talents and our abilities, that's the bag of gold. So this master who's, who's the Lord goes away and he leaves one servant with one bag of gold. And the second servant has two bags of gold and the third has five. Servants two and three with the two and five, they invest it for the good of others. They do what we're supposed to do with charisma and spiritual gifts. They invest and give it away. Spiritual gifts are meant to be given. And it's incredible. And fruitfulness comes and the kingdom of God is expanded. But do you remember what the first servant did with the bag of gold? What did he do? He what? He buried it. He buried it put it on a shelf and how did it go for him when the master returned not well that's a great answer you can read it yourself not well it's frightening actually we have each been given different things right different bags of gold different stuff we all have such a diverse life but we're brought together in this time and space to be the body of Christ in this community we're not lacking a spiritual gift unless we're not using our spiritual gifts for the good of others. My challenge to you today as our church, as your pastor, to myself as part of this community, figure out what your gift is. Maybe you know, and it's really clear, and it's been clear for a long time. I know. I don't have any excuses. Figure out what yours is. Go to that website. Take the test. Ask people. Listen to your life. Be vulnerable. Figure it out. And then get in the game. Get in the game. That's, I know I use a lot of sports euphemisms. Well, that's just who I am. I played a lot of pickup basketball in my life. Love it. Nothing annoys me more than losing in pickup basketball and having to stand awkwardly on the sideline while two other teams play. I pace. I'm not a sitter. I, one, I'm old and my muscles start to freeze up, but I pace. And so I'm going back and forth because I'm just annoyed. I can't believe we lost and I should have played better. And I want to get back in the game. I don't care what's going on out there with all due respect. I just want them to finish so we can get back out there. And when I'm out there, you, if you played with me, I'm diving and fouling you perpetually and bloody and the whole deal. I'm in it. And that's what God wants for us in the body of Christ. He doesn't want us on the bench or in the bleachers watching the game. He wants us in the game. And some of you, I say this in love, especially in this season, it's time to come off the bench. 
It's time to come off the bench. We're going to need you. We're going to this, like, crazy, exciting season that, like, we're going to be meeting in a high school, a large church meeting in a high school on May 3rd. You can't imagine the amount of work that's to be done. Our team is working their tail off. It's incredible. We're going to need your help. We need tons of people for setup and teardown and all kind of things. And we're going to be coming very shortly to begin to talk about this. So heads up. And you can pray. And you can ask. And I hope your prayer will be this, God, here I am. Here's who you made me. I don't know. I think this is who I am. And I'd love to hear faithfully from all of you, what can I do? What can I do? I think that's the posture of people that follow Jesus. I want to leave you with this image. There's this great image of what it looks like to be better together and working together. And it comes from rowing. And uh, the, uh, the book, Boys in the Boat, I think there's a youth version of it. There's a movie. You may be familiar with it. But it's the true story of nine working class rowers that uh, came together and learned to be a team and defeated all the Ivy League schools and then went on to the 1936 Berlin Olympics and won the gold and beat the mighty German team. And why they did it is because they, and this is all about rowing, if you've ever done anything with rowing, you know you have to, you have to row in exact synchronized with rhythm. I mean, you can't be off even an iota or you're done at that level. 16 wrists and hands and knees and heads have to be perfectly moving, perfectly moving. There's a rowing term, and it's called swing. And when, you, when people that row professionally, they say they know it when they hit swing. It's perfect. It's just on, and they're just moving. And the, their coach, uh, George uh, Pop, Popcock, I think his name is, he, he says there's a spiritual quality to rowing. There's a spiritual quality in that each of the people coming with their diversity and their different gifts come together as one. And that's how we are meant to be. We are better together. And here's the deal. We're not trying to win a gold medal. As cool as that would be, we're doing something far greater. We're we're given the responsibility and the stewardship for bringing the kingdom of God from heaven to earth. The writers of scripture say this, that we, are you ready for this? We are the hands and the feet of Jesus. How incredible is that? To use our one lives to come together and to share the good news with a world that's so desperate for good news. I want to leave you with a quote from St. Teresa of Avila. She says it better than I ever could. She says this, Christ has no body but now but yours, no hands, no feet on earth but yours. Yours are the eyes through which he looks compassion on this world. Yours are the feet with which he walks to do good. Yours are the hands with which he blesses all the world. Yours are the hands. Yours are the feet. Yours are the eyes. You are his body. Christ has no body now but yours. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for the glorious privilege of being invited into your body. Uh, It goes without saying that church can be messy and divisive and it can look exactly like the world. It doesn't have to. There is a better way. And as we prepare to come to the table right now, we're reminded that what unites us is far greater than what divides us. We're reminded of our desperate need for grace and our unity as brothers and sisters in your kingdom. And as we come to the table, we anticipate the meal one day that we will sit down and you're head of the table and we'll be with people from every tongue and every language and every tribe praising the name of our Lord and for your grace. 
And yet on this earth, we're also diverse. And you've given each of us unique gifts, unique skills, unique experiences and opportunities. And you're calling us to come together and operate as one, to find our swing as a church. Not for our glory, but for your glory and for the good of others. Have mercy on us, Father, in that endeavor. We pray these things in Christ's name and all God's people said.